1 Samuel chapter 3 is a very, very, very rich and deep and contextually complex passage of Scripture in the grand scheme of all of the Old Testament. 20 verses, real quick. New Living Translation says, Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. And one night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. But the lamp of God had not gone out yet. And Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. And suddenly, the Lord began to call out to Samuel, Samuel. Yes, Samuel replied, what is it? He got up confused and he ran into Eli and said, here I am, master, did you call me? Eli responded, I didn't call you, Samuel. Just go back to bed and lay down. So he did. Then the Lord began to call out again a second time, Samuel. And again, Samuel got up and he went in and he ran to Eli and said, here I am, did you call me? He said, I didn't call you, my son, go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know that this was the Lord because his ears had never heard, because he had never experienced hearing in his ears a message from the Lord before. It was confusing to him. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and he ran into Eli and said, here I am, did you call me? Then Eli, more experienced, realized that it was actually the Lord calling out to the boy. So he said to Samuel, here's what you do. You go back and you lie down again. And if you hear someone call again, just lay there in the quiet, be still, and say, speak, Lord. Your servant now is listening. Notice there's a difference in hearing and listening. I've heard you all three times, but now I'm ready to listen. So Samuel went back and laid down, and the Lord came and called to him as he had before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel replied, speak, your servant's now ready to hear you. I'm listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in all of the land of Israel, and I'm going to carry out all of my threats against Eli and against his family from the beginning to the end. I have warned him with many messages that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he has not disciplined them. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by the sacrifices and the offerings that are being sacrificed and offered on the offering, on the altar. Samuel stayed in bed until morning, and then he got up and he opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual, one of his daily duties, and he was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said. But Eli, knowing that Samuel had heard from the Lord, called out to him, Samuel, my son, here I am. Samuel replied, what did the Lord say to you? You tell me everything, young man, that the Lord said, and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything, and he didn't hold back anything. Eli said this statement, it is the Lord's will, and let the Lord do what he thinks is best. As Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be very reliable and true for all of Israel. From the land in the north, Dan, to Beersheba in the south, they all knew that Samuel was being confirmed as the last judge and the first prophet 
a seer of the nation. Father, today, I thank you for a rich passage, a great church, an incredible worship experience. Here's what we want now. We've prayed privately, we pray it publicly, that your word, which is already anointed, would do a work that no man in here can do in each and every one of our hearts and lives, that we could leave here strengthened, that we could leave here convicted, that we can leave here built up, that we could leave in here transformed more like Jesus so that our lives could be abundant and our world could be impacted with the cause of Christ, the gospel that you've called us to share. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. One more time, would you love on Pastor Chad? Let him know you appreciate him today. The volume of God. You may not know this, but there are frequencies that some of us in this room can hear and some of us cannot. Let me say that again. There are frequencies in this room on Sunday mornings that some of us can hear and some of us cannot. I want to share an example with you this morning. It's called a Hertz test. And today we're going to be beginning this test at the frequency of 600 Hertz. And as the Hertz begin to increase, the sound will begin to dissipate for many of you whose ears hear at different frequencies in this room. To prove the point that I am throwing out there, espousing before you today, you will probably all hear this sound in the beginning. But as the sound begins to fade in your ears and it's no longer heard, just slip your hand up when you can't hear it anymore, okay? If you kept even a casual eye around the room, you saw that very early on, a couple of people's hands went up. A little bit later, a few more hands went up, and the longer that we went, the higher the pitch or the frequency got, many more hands began to go up. Maybe you've been to a hearing test before. Maybe you've been to an eye test before. It's very similar to that. There's something scientifically, Google this, look it up, medical books, at the age of 18 years old is the best number that doctors have narrowed it down to. The ear begins to change from an adolescent ear to a mature ear in both males and females and begins to hear at a different frequency. Younger people can hear sounds that you can't hear. <laughs> said, I didn't know I was going to come to church today and you make me feel old. <laughs> Guess what? It dawned on me this week. I'm almost old. <laughs> I was like, I don't like this. I'm 44 years old. I said something about being 60 last night and my dear friend, Mr. Charles Brown said, watch it. I said, I am. I'm like 14 years from being there. Like it's right around the corner, man. There are younger people that can hear sounds around you that you can't hear. When I was sharing this with Pastor Todd, he said, I want to know 
while the music is so loud on Sunday morning. I said, it's supposed to work the other way. I said, we can be in your living room and Joseph can say, Todd, I'd like you to take Judah over to the park. And Todd will go, huh, are you talking? I said, you can't hear anybody else any other time. I'm going to pick on him because he's not here today. Pastor Todd did a great job. He's got hearing aids now. He's putting them, and because he can't hear. I said, but when you come to church on Sunday morning, you can hear perfectly. I said, you're just a sometime here is what it is. I've narrowed it down. You hear what you want to hear. I said, put your hearing aids in when we're talking. Put your earplugs in when we're worshiping. (laughs) The point is that in this passage of Scripture, this young boy could hear things that he, his mentor that he assisted could not hear. God was speaking at a volume or at a frequency that one ear could hear and one ear was dull to hear. That, that really sets me up this morning to talk to each of you about the possibility or the potential, not, not meaning to be highly convictional, that, that God may be speaking to you and you just may not be listening. God, God here's what the, the psalmist actually says, and it's kind of why I highlighted this in this passage of Scripture where it says there were not many messages or many visions from the Lord in that day that it was very rare. It's not that God wasn't speaking. It's not that God didn't have a heart to speak to its people. It's that the nation was at a place spiritually where their ears were dull of hearing what God was saying. The Psalms say that in the course of one day, God thinks thoughts towards you so many, Bobby, welcome home, so many that the number is non-numberable the thoughts that he thinks towards you in one day. And if you're like me, I'm just trying to capture three of them or five of them. I'm just trying, God, what are you saying for Oaks Church? God, what are you saying for my personal wall? God, what are you saying for my marriage? I'm just trying to get my, my ear, actually not my hearing, my heart around a couple of things that God is saying, knowing that if I can hear what he's saying and get my heart around a couple of those things, it'll start changing my home. It'll start changing my life. It'll change my community. But the truth of the matter is God doesn't have a problem speaking. We have a problem hearing, but ultimately listening. The the, the second person in this conversation is is not just that God is speaking and we're not listening. There's somebody else in this conversation that God is speaking and we're hearing, but not listening. We're, we're, we're hearing and confusing, this is the voice of a man, this is the voice of a woman, this is the voice of the world, this is the voice of another. We think it's Eli, we think it's our boss, and it's actually God. I, I just want to talk to you this morning about honing in on the volume of God. See, see here's what I know, it, it's my job today not to become a spiritual guru for you that you depend on. Like God didn't set up the New Testament that you be dependent on a man, that you be dependent on a temple, that you be dependent on sacrifices and offerings and temple worship. God set it up today where he would come live in you and all I'm trying to do is point you to him so that you will learn to listen to him and you want, my job will almost be irrelevant. You won't need me in that day because you'll hear him yourself. That's God's New Testament plan. 
I just want to talk to you for the next few minutes about this passage of Scripture. Now, I know there's been a little bit of movement right now. I'm going to ask for the rest of our time today that everyone just take a seat. It can be distracting in the small room, disturbing. Just, just take a seat. We're not going to be very long, I promise. Number one, they're going to throw this up on the screens for you right now. It takes a sensitive ear to hear the volume of God. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel, who was there serving as an assistant, he, he, he was the mentee, he was an apprentice, he doesn't know nothing. And so many times in life, it doesn't matter what field you're in, you can be in real estate, you can be in construction, you can be in financial investments. We have this ideology that if, if, if you're not where I'm at, if you've not been doing it 20 years, if you're not a master plumber, then don't open your mouth because you don't know nothing and everything you say is stupid. Well, in this situation, God reversed that role. Here is the seasoned man of God. Here's the man who has been doing this with maturity, who's gotten so accustomed and so used to God, so used to God's presence, that has become the dulling of his own heart and his own ears. And the boy who's not supposed to know a thing, he's just a mentee, he's just an assistant, he's just green, you know, he, he's just doing whatever he's told. He has a sensitivity in his ears that he begins to hear that actually the Lord was speaking in those days. And it says that it was one night when they went to bed and Eli, who the passage has told us, is spiritually deaf, is also almost physically blind. So we've got a picture, listen to me, of a priest that is deaf and blind leading God's nation. You, you don't want to go to a church where the pastor is spiritually deaf. You don't want to go to a church where the pastor is spiritually blind. You know what the Bible says? It's, it's common sense. The blind lead the blind. You both end up in a ditch. You, you, you want to be in a recovery group with somebody who's come out of addiction and beat recovery. If you, you want to be in somebody's marriage counseling that's actually been through some things that will transparently share it and show you the secrets of forgiveness and healing and purity and restoration who can get you out of that. But you got to have somebody that can see and hear. It says the word of the Lord was, was uncommon in that day because the nation couldn't hear. They weren't listening. It says that he's laying in there by the presence of God. This showed a devotion. This kid just wanted to be close to God's presence. And I'm, I'm not meaning this manipulatively. It's like, I don't care what time we load in. I don't care what time we set up. I don't care how long the services go. I don't care how hard it is to corral the kids in the back. I don't care how, how, how confusing it is to sit out church. I just want to be a part on Sunday mornings of something that is bigger than me, beyond me, that's making a difference in Northeast Louisiana. I refuse to look at all this other stuff. I just want to be a part of something great, making a difference for God. I'm just hungry to be around the presence of God. And it says as he's laying in there around the presence of God, you think everything was perfect in that tabernacle? No, they had a deaf and a dumb and a blind priest. That church was not in good order. His sons were sleeping with women at the altar, and God was sending messages to discipline them. And the priest had become so spiritually limp, he wouldn't bring correction. That's when the message came that I'm going to remove you. The house of God was out of order, but this kid starts hearing God. He values the presence, and it makes this statement. It says, and the lamp of God had not gone out yet. Lamp of God had not. That's the menorah. So... 
I'm a Bible fanatic, and I got that confused with the altar because I said, well, the lamp of God was never to go out. No, the fire on the altar was never to go out. Hint, hint, your spiritual life, the fire on the altar of your spiritual life should never wane. But the lamp of God, the menorah, was lit in the evenings and was only allowed to burn till in the mornings. That menorah, the lamp of God, is a prophetic picture of the word of God, of the light of the world that was coming into this earth. This is God signifying prophetically in this passage that his work had not gone out in the earth yet. And while the priesthood was failing, the office of the prophet was beginning, and he was not done working with men in the earth yet. This little boy whose ears hear at a different frequency, whose heart is tuned to a different sensitivity, starts hearing the voice of God. He's young, he's inexperienced, he was confused, he didn't know who it was, he didn't know what to do with it. We see him running to men with it, but at the exact same time, let me just leave you with this thought before we move on to the second point this morning, is life can be a loud place. It can be so loud, your marriage can be so loud, your finances can be so loud, your hurt can be so loud, your struggles can be so loud, things can be so loud, confusing, politics, race, all this stuff can be so loud, it will deafen your ears to hear God at times. Number two, number two, put this up on the screens, God has proven himself in the scriptures to repetitively or consistently speak to those people who will work at learning to hear. Here's what we think. God speaks one time, Uncle Jeff, and if we missed it, he won't ever speak to us again. If God's dealing with you and speaking to you and, and, and you make a step towards hearing, if you make a step, I'm gonna show you something in a minute, at listening, here's what God will do. God's not an Indian giver. God's not dangling a care. He'll start speaking to you again. The lamp of God had not gone out yet. Samuel was there sleeping by the presence of God, by the Ark of the Covenant. Suddenly, Samuel, what is it, Lord? He runs to Eli, did you call me? No, go back, lay down. Samuel, did you call me again, Eli? No. This time, he says, I understand. Go lay down, and when you, when you hear that voice, Get still, get quiet, get alone, shut everything out, give it your undivided attention, practice his presence, and say, your servant is now listening. Samuel was in this learning experience. God was teaching his ear, tuning his ear to the frequency that not only he would need, but the nation would need all the days of his prophetic ministry. Think about all the great prophets in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha. That all began with this man. He is the last judge of the nation of Israel. He is the last mentioning of a priesthood, which I got to give you that nugget and that truth in life group. Come back another time. We can't go there today. I don't have time for it. This is the first prophet that is launched onto the scene to be the seer for a spiritually blind people that can't see where to go. 
If you're spiritually blind, get around somebody that can spiritually see. If you're spiritually dull in your hearing, get around somebody that can spiritually hear. But check this out. Don't depend on them to fish for you all the days of their lives because what God has set up in the New Testament is those that are seeing for you and hearing for you ought to be teaching you how to see, washing your eyes with salve till they begin to see, and unclogging your spiritually dull ears so that you learn to hear from God yourself. I enjoy it when people call and say, what do you think? What are your thoughts? What's your, what's your, what's your counsel? Great, I don't mind giving it. We're going to talk about confirmation in a minute. But what I really want more than anything for our staff, what I really want more than anything for the people of Oaks Church is for you to be able to see and hear yourself. I want your eyes to see and your ears to hear what God is saying in the earth. What God is saying to your family, what, what God is saying. It's amazing. Jesus shows up in the New Testament. He starts speaking all these heavenly truths with these earthly stories. It's very simple. And he says, but let him who has ears to hear, hear what God's spirit is saying in the church. He's saying everybody's hearing, but not everybody's listening. Everybody's going to get the illustration. It's free. I'm going to be lifted up like Jonah three days, three nights but not everybody's going to understand. They said, tell us why you speak in these riddles. And he says, because this is the way God meant it to be. I speak in riddles and only those who are allowed to see and hear will understand. When God speaks, it's very important. Even if it's a messy, ugly discipleship. Does everybody understand what we're called to be as what? Disciples. I said last week, I'm, uh, you know, the last playlist, God, so man made a bar. I said, man, I love Morgan Wallen. I'm a fan of Morgan Wallen, but I'm not, I'm more than a fan of God. I'm a disciple. I, I love Morgan Wallen, but I love God more. I like his music, but I don't take his ideology as my internal life philosophy or doctrine. Here's what God says. And I've learned that because I'm a disciple. I'm in the disciplining process. Discipleship is, write this down, messy. Away with this form of Christianity that it's one and done. Away, look, I'm so grateful that God took an IV cocaine addiction from me at 20 years old in an altar. But that was not the end, like I falsely believed at the beginning of my walk with Christ, that that was the end of every struggle. There have been other killings in my life where God asked me to bear my cross for other things to die. I got infatuated with things. I got attracted to things. And then God inevitably would come back and say, I want you to die to that. I want you to give me that. There have been other killings in that discipleship process where I've had to let go of other things all over the years of my discipleship becoming disciplined. Discipleship is messy. We're starting a Bible college. Those kids aren't going to say, oh, on Sunday, I want to go to Bible college. And the next week, they're Billy Graham. They're going to mess up. They're going to let you down. They're going to flunk classes. They're going to make bad spiritual decisions, bad moral decisions. It's our job to be there with them and love them. Discipleship is a messy process. It's trial and error. But when God speaks, the best thing that I can tell you in this life is there should be a response when God speaks, you respond. Your response may be, I just roll over in the middle of the night and I jot down what God says. Don't, don't say, God, you're not speaking anymore if you didn't do anything with the last thing God said. The reason God was still willing to speak to Samuel is that he had it wrong, Jay. 
He didn't, he, you called me? And God was like, don't you know? God was like, look at this idiot. No, God wasn't like that at all. God was like, look at this tender heart of this young man. He's confused. He thinks it's him and it's really me. But because he's responding, I'm willing to speak again. When God speaks, respond. And then most importantly, when you finally get a handle in your heart around what God is saying, and I'm going to say this directly to you without calling your attention, react. React. I love that you reacted. I love that you got your heart around what God was saying. And you say, I can't stay still anymore. I can't stay paralyzed. I don't know what to do. It may cost me everything. It may be confusing. It may be painful. But I've got, I'm more miserable just standing still with what God has said. I've got to react. I've got to move. I've got to step. I've got to grow. I've got to stretch. Don't, don't react when I say react. React when God says Re-engage your marriage. Re-engage your dream. Re-engage your children. Take a trip. Plan a vacation. Invest. Call time out on something you love and be sacrificial and selfless so you can be self-centered around them. Make a decision to do something you would. Respond. React. And last thing, for those of you taking notes before we move on to number three here, is this. Recall it. Recall it. Man, when, when, when you get in those doubtful moments, those lonely nights, those hard times, because not everything God calls us to do is glamorous. Not everything God calls us to do is successful. Not everything God calls us to do takes off like a rocket. You gotta, you gotta recall, okay, this is what God told me to do. Did I do this because I wanted to do it? Did I do this because I felt like it? Did I do this because man taught me into it? Or did I do this? It's, it's tired, right? It's tiresome right now. It's confusing right now. I'm, recall- I'm doing this. It don't matter because this is what God told me to do. Number three. Number three. Homes drift when hearts drift from the voice of God. Homes drift when hearts drift from the voice of God. What parents tolerate in moderation, children will live in excess. What what, what you decide you will dabble with, your children will do excessively. What, 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 What you endorse, what you decide, and listen, I'm not talking about just, you know, substances or sexuality or things like that. I'm saying if you make a decision that this is more important than God, that this is a greater priority than serving, that this is a greater priority than giving your children, don't, don't wake up one day and say, well, I wonder why my children are not generous. Because they saw you early in their life begrudgingly give. And then they found no value in being generous because you didn't cheerfully do it when you gave. You gave begrudgingly. So now they don't know how to be generous to other people. Listen to me. When 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 you're hearing and you're listening, get separated from God, your heart will drift. And when your heart drifts from God, it is just a matter of time before the people around you, men that you are leading your homes, women that are leading your home, it's just a matter of time for your whole home has drifted like a buoy out at sea further than you meant for it to go. 
You say, man, how'd that buoy get? Man, that current, that riptide carried that thing so far down there, so far down the beach, so far down the bayou, so far down the bay. I don't even know if it's retrievable anymore. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all of my threats against Eli. Can I tell you what happened in chapter 2? A man of God, unnamed, showed up and said to Eli, I've got a message from God for you. And Eli said, I'm the prophet. I should have heard it. And the man said, I don't know why your ears didn't hear it, but here's what God said. You didn't take care of the presence of God. You didn't take care of your family. And God's getting ready to take down your household. Here's a little piece of the nugget for you deep Bible thinkers. Come on, Pastor Chad. How is Eli serving as the priest? You want to know why? Because he's a direct descendant of the fourth son of Aaron. He is the blood of Cohen. He is the fourth generation of the Levitical priesthood since Moses and Aaron. And in four generations, the priesthood is so upside down in the earth, God said, man cannot preserve the priesthood. And he eradicated the priesthood out of the earth. You want to know when the priesthood came back? You want to know what happened immediately after this? Immediately after this, Samuel couldn't hear, Eli couldn't hear. Samuel heard for him and gave him a confirmation. This is what the Lord was doing. And the Philistines came and they took the ark of God and the presence of God left Israel. And there was no priesthood. When the ark of God come back, when David brought the ark back after Saul's reign, what mistake did David make first? Didn't know to have the priest move the presence of God. And God broke out and killed the men. In that short time span, men had destroyed the priesthood in the earth. So God allowed judges and prophets to come to try to guide his people. Because the priesthood wasn't being maintained. Listen to this. Listen to this. I'm about to do a shocking thing. I'm going to carry out all of my threats from beginning to end. Because the men that I put to preserve the priesthood in the earth have been irresponsible with it, and I'm coming to wreck their house for it. Their hearts have drifted because their hearing has been lost, and now their homes are destroyed. They've destroyed their home, and it's a matter of time before they destroy my home. Eli had to have a messenger. Then he had to have his attendant with an ear tuned to a different frequency to hear from him. All because his own heart had become callous, accustomed, used to. Help me, Holy Spirit. Familiar with God. Familiarity breeds contempt. Don't you get so, don't you get so used to God's presence, so used to God's voice that you you start hearing God's voice in everything because God's voice ain't in everything. Oh, it's flipping. Oh, it's Kesarasa rise. No, it's not. No, it's not. There's a connection between hearing, 
hearts and homes. Hearing hearts and homes. Look at your home today. You know how your home got there? Because your heart got there first. You know how your heart got there? Because your hearing got there first or didn't get there first. Here's some benefits. They don't have this for you, but note takers, I want to share this with you. We're like three minutes from being done. Here's some benefits of hearing from God. When you really learn to tune your ears to the frequency of God, you will experience the peace I preached about last week that surpasses your mind and your understanding. When you're always unrestful and stirred up, man, that that vexes my spirit. That is a direct indicator to me that people are not connected to God. You're hearing more of the volume of this world. How many of you, watch this, how many of you said, I just don't watch the news no more because they don't put nothing good on it? Same example. And I'm not saying boycott the news. I'm saying our minds want to know who did what, when she did it, how they did it, who said who what, how got offended, who didn't do this. And that stuff gets so loud, it chokes out that still small voice. And you don't have no peace because you're not in contact with the one that can calm the storm. Some benefits of hearing from God. You will have divine direction. The Bible says in that day, in that day, you will hear a voice behind you saying, do not turn to the left, do not turn to the right. This is the way, even if they don't understand, even if people don't agree, this is the way you walk therein. You will experience the certainty in time of the actions and the steps you have made. One of the greatest vindicators of my life in planting Oaks Church and coming back is two years later, I got a call from the one man I needed it from that said, I now understand and you never had to say a thing. God proved the certainty of your actions to me. It just took two years for me to see what you were up against. Hearing from God is proof of your sonship, Romans says. If you are a son or a daughter of God, it is proof that he is your father and you're not an orphan. You hear from him. That makes you cry, Daddy, Abba. It confirms in you that I am his child. Am I or am I not? It's all over. I know that I am. You'll have the ability to do things, to stay in step, to make decisions that will be pleasing to God. You ever ever had to get, I wonder if God's okay with this, if he's not okay, anybody, I've been there. You know what that is a direct indicator of? You're not hearing from God. God's not schizophrenic, God's not bipolar. He never changes, traditions change. Customs change, traditions change, dress change. I mean, has anybody noticed the 90s are coming back? Any of you, is anybody in nine? Brooks like, I had all that in high school. I should have kept that. All this stuff changes. But guess what never changes? God. He never changed. Who he was is who he is. It's who he always will be. And guess what flows from God? Morality. We don't look for our morality from the federal government. We don't look for morality from culture. We don't look for our morality from our friends. Morality comes from God. He never changes. 
You open the book today, he's still the same. I love it. He's so dependable. My tires go flat. My check engine light comes on. That tire pressure sensor that I can't get to go off on my truck ever. It don't matter what tire shot. It just pops back up. I'm like, I'm going to figure out where that wire is at. I'm going to cut that sucker off. It's on one day, off one day. Guess what? God's the same all the time. He's always the same. And when you hear from him, he will say, this is what I want you to do. You will walk in ways that are pleasing to him. Hearing from God is actually the deepest secret there is to living in a a prosperous life. (laughs) Most people say, I need a financial advisor. (laughs) No, you need the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I need an inside business deal. No, you need God's voice. You made a million, but you lost your wife. Try holding that million dollars on Christmas morning. (laughs) Hugged up in there with a big old block of money. (laughs) Country songs should have been a playlist. They say money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a truck, (laughs) buy me a boat to put it. Trust me, I've had the truck, had the boat, had the cooler, had the, had a, at some point, it's not enough. At some point, that still leaves you empty. At some point, that truck's just a piece of metal. At some point, the high's gone, the buzz is gone, and it leaves you as a human wanting. Benefit of hearing from God, it's a mark on your life of his endorsement. Now we've got the NIL deal in college, uh, uh, the likeness deal where the college athletes can be paid good for them. It's their likeness. It's their image. They get to sell merchandise today. They, they need an endorsement from Nike or from New Balance or, or, or Under Armour. You know, the greatest endorsement you can have in your life, the greatest endorsement you can have in your home, in your marriage, in your parenting skills, in your business decisions is to say, I did a business deal with him, and he was a godly man. He didn't manipulate the numbers. He didn't screw me over. Forgive my French. Who he said he was publicly is who he was behind closed doors. The endorsement I see on his life is he's a good, godly man. That's the best endorsement you can have. And that comes as a direct result from hearing from God. (laughs) Funny story, and I need to go. I was getting ready to buy a little piece of land, uh, me and a couple other guys. And uh, it's a little bit small piece of land, three acres to be exact. And, and uh, we were just all so grateful to finally just have a, a little piece of land um, for a little campsite. We almost, we were like, we don't care what he charges them. And then we were like, oh my gosh, this guy wants so much money for this. Like, that's retarded. And then we were like, what? If you break it down three ways, it's not that much money. You know how the human mind can start rationalizing anything. Like $35,000 for three acres. We was like, oh my God. It's like, oh, okay, well, it don't matter. <laughs> this guy calls me one day. Honest to God's truth, I'm driving down the road. He says, Brother John, he knows I'm a pastor. He says, I need to talk to you. I said, oh, you got good news. He said, actually, I do. And uh, this is just credit to God, not to me. And he said, um, I need to repent. I got greedy. I was tempted. It was excessive. It was too much. I'm backing out of the deal. I'm connecting you with the original seller, the people who own the land. Um, It's going to come out better for you. I want my conscience right, and I want my endorsement right from God. And I'm stepping out of it because I was doing y'all wrong on the deal, and I repent. Would you forgive me? I promise. And and I'm 
I'm like, you sure? I'll still buy it. You know, I'm like, okay, stupid, shut up, listen to God. Like, he's trying to bless you here, you know, and I'm arguing with him. But man, it, it meant so much to me that this man, even though his heart started out wrong, this is what I'm getting at. There was a voice, you know, in David saying, take Bathsheba. And God was saying, I would have given you anything you wanted. You know, there's a voice sometimes that says, take this money. There's a voice that says, take this glory. You know, Rhonda did something great, Pastor Rhonda, and then you step up and say, look what I did. <laughs> you know, you, you want the attention for it. You know, Pastor Oakland and them are back there killing it. We don't do child care. We do children's ministry. I mean, they deserve the honor for that. Chad doesn't need to try to steal that out from under them. You know what I'm saying? They deserve that. There's, there's voices at time in all of our lives, attractions and desires and passions that pull us with voices that are often louder than God into things that are not God. And what we need to do is this. Here's seven practical ways. I wouldn't leave you without this today for you to start practicing at hearing the voice of God. When things get loud, the number one thing you need to know is to find a quiet place. Now, back on playlist. Anybody ever heard Larry Fleet and Morgan Wallen? That's where I find God. He said, man, I was in a bad state in my life, and all I, all I could do was sit on a bar stool to find peace. And he said, and then all of a sudden, I said, I went from a bar stool to an Evan Root. And out there on that lake with nobody around, I heard God. He said, sometimes it's in a deer stand on a hayfield. That's where I find, now that's not church. That's not, that's not church, listen to me. Church is about what you give another person. Church is about your gift sharpening them. Church is about, I didn't come to get something today. I came to give an offering today. I came to give worship today. I came to give encouragement today. Everybody understand church isn't a getting place, it's a giving place. Do you understand that? Bible Christianity, you don't come here to get, you come here to give. I saw Bobby, I need to give him a high five. I need to give him a hug. I need to give him encouragement. I saw this little girl, she was in a recovery home. She, she needed a word from God. She needed a ride. She needed $10. I saw somebody in their marriage, they needed my prayer. I saw somebody that needed my worship. Church is about, I came to give to God. But at the same time, don't ever get it twisted. You can't give from God unless you got a quiet place to get from God. And for some of us, that's a mountain. Some of us, that's a hayfield. Some of us, that's a deer stand. Some of us, that's a mountain bike course. Some of us, it's a walk in the park. Some of it's a podcast. Some of it's driving down the road. But when things in this world get loud, you've got to find a quiet place. When there's too many people around, get alone. When things are chaotic, don't do anything and you get still. When you start hearing the frequency, oh wow, I think I'm starting to hear him. It's okay to practice it. And if it's messy, it's okay if you go running to Jay, it's Jay, 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 Jay. I think I know what you was trying to say. Jay like, that wasn't me. You might better go back to CR. See if that was Richard or Tina. And say, oh, whoa, whoa, no, no, no. That was God. Practice it. Practice it. Here's a good one. Here's a good one. Ask for accountability to it. You, you do understand that God will never say by his spirit anything contradictory to his word. 
So one of the best things young and inexperienced people can do when they're trying to practice and hear the voice of God is to ask for mature counsel or accountability from the word around it. I think I hear God telling me to marry this woman. <laughs> your mentor's like, oh, that ain't God. That's, your, that's below your belt. <laughs> that ain't God, player. Uh-uh. You finna get married and divorced in six months. Your testimony finna grow. You're gonna be able to help somebody one day in that divorce group. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. I'm helping you, right? It's tight, but it's right. We preach truth, give grace. Get quiet, get alone, get still, practice it. It's okay if it's trial and error. Just be willing to look foolish for a while. Ask for accountability. Once you start getting it, again, respond to it. How many of you know if we did everything we did today and you don't put action to what you've heard from God, it was all for naught? It's like when Paul says, how will the armies know to march unless the trumpet makes a direct sound? Did you hear the sound of God today? Did you hear the volume of God today in your own heart? I sure hope you did. There's only one thing left for you to do. Respond to it.